Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud to get it automatically. You can catch the show on the Stitcher app if you use that. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com and follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. We're in the thick of it. After all the waiting and preparation, Philly Sketchfest is upon us. Started all off with the third annual Sketch Comedy Film Festival at the Roxy Theater on Wednesday, May 30th at 7.30 p.m. Thursday, May 31st and Friday, June 1st, we move to the Playground at the Adrian for three shows both nights, 7, 8.30, and 10 p.m. On June 2nd, Saturday afternoon, come to a conversation about community diversity and identity in comedy at amalgam comics at 2 p.m we then head to ruba club on saturday evening for three shows at 7 8 30 and 10 and then we'll close out the weekend on sunday at underground arts for the final three shows at 7 8 30 and 10 tickets for all the live shows are available at myfirstsketch.com tickets And here's another cool thing that we're doing this year. Because the 10th anniversary is traditionally associated with tin or aluminum, we'll be collecting canned goods that will be donated to Phil Abundance, which is the largest hunger relief organization in the Delaware Valley. So before you come to the shows, stop by the local mini mart, pick up some stuff, and help spread some good in the world. But for today's episode, we head to New York City and talk to two members of Clip Show. Jonathan Greaser and Ganesh Nair. We'll start with Ganesh's first sketch, entitled Highway Robbery. Jonathan plays the robber, and Ganesh plays the nobleman. I read all the visual information and directions. So let's go to the sketch. Highway robbery. An old road sign points the, the way to Bush, Louisiana. We hear the clopping of a horse and loud braying. A robber drags an 1800s nobleman out on stage. This is a stick-up. Give me all your money and I let you live. Please don't hurt me. I'm a representative of the Baton Rouge Zoo and I'm carrying only animals. For example, this bird. The nobleman pulls a bird out of its pocket. A bird? A rare bird. The town of Bush is desperate for an influx of exotic animals. This bird in my hand, sir, it'll be worth twice as much in the town of Bush. You know, I, I don't care. I, I didn't pull you over to discuss bird exchange rates. I want money. Like I said, sir, I don't have much money, but perhaps this will do. Nobleman hands the robber a bag. The robber looks in. We hear enraged cat noises. The robber removes a cat. Well, now you've let the cat out of the bag, sir. What is this? Are, are you doing some sort of bit? It bites his face. He throws it off stage. Oh, God damn it! No bits, sir. Just animals. You just met the scaredy cat. Did you get your tongue? Ha ha. Okay, I get it. Raises his gun. Do I have to remind you that this is a robbery? Right, no more jokes. What else do you have? More animals? Nothing but, sir. I have a holy cow, an eager beaver, a scapegoat, a monkey's uncle, and a fish out of water. Uh, okay, you just... <sighs> You just don't turn off, do you? All right, enough of this. 
The robber raises his gun. Perhaps I could interest you in a golden goose? Do you actually have a golden goose? Hand that over. The nobleman turns around as we hear a goose honking. I'm afraid he's just flown the coop. I would follow him, but I'm afraid it'd be a wild goose chase. God damn it! Okay, again with the... I bet you think you're real funny. All right, Let's see how funny it is when I strand you here without your horses. The one-trick ponies? Those were a birthday present. They're... No, 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 no. Don't say it. They're gift horses, so I wouldn't look them in the mouth. Fuck you. I'm going to take them and escape up the Mississippi. Well, you can lead them to the water, but you can't make it. Stop it! Okay, Christ, I get it! The robber raises his gun. Give me a reason not to blow your brains out right now. Please, no, I can give you a dozen eggs. It's all the marketable goods I have. Fine, fine. I, I guess I'll, I'll take them. Put them here. He extends the basket. All the eggs? Yes. In that one basket? Blackout and gunshot. And Greaser, uh, before we start recording, you were saying that your first sketch was a more visual. Yes. So it was uh, visual and music. Okay. What? Um, All right. Tell me about that, please. Okay. Uh, so uh, there's a park bench. There is a, a house plant sitting on the park bench. Uh, a man walks up to it, just says, oh, that's where there's a plant on the bench. He sits down. And then this very, very sweet song starts playing. Was it a specific uh, song? or It was a specific song. It was, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember it now. Uh, he's like, oh, what a plant. And the very sweet song starts mm-hmm. playing. And then he just kind of looks over at the plant and very slowly throughout the course of the song falls in love with it. Uh, and then starts making out with the plant. And uh, then eventually we get to the point where he is full on having sex with the plant on stage. Uh, take the pants down. I think we did this at the last Philadelphia Sketch Fest, actually. At, at Philly Sketch Fest? Uh, like last year? or Yeah. Okay. Last year. Yep, last year. Yeah, I remember and, us doing uh, it uh, last year at Philly. <laughs> I remember because my mom was in the audience, and she did not care for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she thought it was a little strange to see her son engaged in sexual relations with a plant. It gets kind of graphic. Uh, uh, it does get pretty graphic. And then um, the song stops, and another man walks out on stage and says, Hey, what are you doing? Hey, that's my wife. Uh, and then I run yeah, off. Stage I think I do remember that. Uh, I think so, yeah. Because oh, you, you guys did. I think you guys were in the Rubik Club last year. I think that's right. And I, and I wasn't in watching a lot during that show. I was you know, worried about other stuff. All right, so let's start, uh, Ganesh, with your with your sketch. Tell me where that comes from. Where does that idea, what, like? Well, I, I think the the main idea comes with. I, I think it's um, it's something that I'd been you know running around in my head for quite a while. I was trying to figure out how to shove as many idioms into into one sketch as possible, mm-hmm. and how to link them. So I think the premise is is a little bit of a stretch. 
but uh, it was the only thing I could think of to really, really uh, get all of those, you know, different sayings in there right. and just kind of harp on some of the ridiculousness of some of that stuff. And when was this written? This one was written, I want to say, early last year. Okay. It was also performed, yeah, or middle of last, middle or late of last year. Okay. Um, so, all right, let's go back to the beginning. We've talked, uh, what were you guys into? Like, what were you watching? What was your comedy fandom growing up? We'll start with you, uh, Ganesh. Oh, for, for, as for the beginning, I think... I think my comedy fandom starts probably with The Simpsons. I think it, it's it's not particularly unique, but uh, that's pretty much what I watched growing up. Uh, it, it came out in, I guess, what, late 98, early, uh, late 88, early, or late 89. I was born in 88, and I guess for whatever reason, my parents just let me watch it even you know as a young child so i grew up in the golden years of the simpsons quoting oh it was a cartoon cartoons yeah. were safe yeah except uh everybody including the i guess late barbara bush didn't seem to take kindly to the simpsons but it was a it was a different time they were they were edgy whereas now they're blase but uh that that was basically my first exposure but uh to like i guess comedy in general but at the same time you know in my you know late tweens early teens we finally got cable and i just started watching old reruns of saturday night live and that that really informed you know my comedic tastes in general so my snl cast is the early to late 90s mishmash with a little bit of Will Ferrell and the early 2000s thrown in. Okay. Uh, how about you, Greaser? What, are, what were you into? Well, I, I think one of the first things that I remember really liking as just a piece of comedy was uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Okay. I thought that was the funniest. I, I remember when that debuted. I don't know how old I was. Seven or eight. Or, you know, I was in the third grade, so I was probably what, 10. Uh and I remember watching that. I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And then as I got older, I kind of uh, really started getting into a lot of Monty Python. Um, watching, I remember my library had uh, Monty Python on VHS. So I would take out VHS tapes of Monty Python and watch those. What what drives you to go to the library? And like, what, what is it about Monty Python that you, you get to it? Well, I was already... Basically, when I, uh, when I was going to the library uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that's where I kind of grew up, mm-hmm. um, I was probably 12, 13 years old going to the city library, and I would always go to the humor section. That was the first thing I'd always do, because okay. uh, I always read a lot, um, but when I'm in the library, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go straight to the humor section. So uh, I would go right past all the Art Buckwald books, believe it or not. Um, doesn't mm-hmm. hold a lot of interest for a kid. And I was reading a lot of Dave Barry. Dave Barry is, a, I think, a, still a great comedy writer. Um, and then as I was going to, like, the movie section, I saw they had all this Monty Python stuff. And I don't think I had seen Holy Grail yet. Um, or maybe I had just seen mm-hmm. Holy Grail, but I had heard about it. 
and I'm like, you know what, I'll watch that because it was just kind of, uh, I think not not a lot of like 13 year olds really knew about it at the time, and I'm, I'm kind of always attracted to things that maybe people haven't heard of, even yeah. though you know everyone knows Monty Python now, but as a kid, you don't really you aren't too familiar with it. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that probably drew me to it, and then I just really liked, you know, one of the first episodes I watched. Um, probably had some nudity in it so i think i was attracted to that as well <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh yeah one of those things uh like because monty python for me i know i remember like it would air on pbs every once in a while relatively randomly and then the first time i saw a uh, holy grail outside of the few like a few quotable scenes i enjoyed i did not get it oh yeah like how uh you know the ending of it i was just like wait what's this this is this that's, that's not how this works like that's yeah. not how movies like are supposed to happen and it took me like a couple years to finally realize like oh what they're doing that like, no. that, that killed um, me as i i mean I, I i started off with the simpsons but monty python was something that i discovered in my early and late you know teens during high school uh first obviously with holy grail that's that was the gateway drug for me and then and i ended up having to buy the whole set on dvd and watch those nonstop, but the sheer absurdity and I guess the fact that they felt like they could just throw something out there, throw caution to the wind and end a full movie like that, a literal cop out is uh, what was just baffling and, and just hilarious to me at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's bizarre. Like I remember seeing a couple of different, uh, at a certain point, PBS was doing the special of like, and I think they actually released them as DVDs eventually, where they picked each cast members. I can't remember if they said it was their their best or their favorite sketches. And there was one on the Michael Palin collection that goes that I go back to and I love it because I generally enjoy game shows, and and then on top of that, I, I do generally enjoy game show parodies. Uh, and Michael Palin hosts a game show. I think it's just called Blackmail. Oh, yes. I where, remember that. Yeah, where he's great. just showing up these little bits of evidence and telling people to call in and give him money, like, which I think is just a great premise and really funny. And I think they actually redid it uh, for the one movie. Um, but, like, it's just so weird and bizarre. And, like, the, the half smarminess, the half, like, charmingness of being a game show host for Michael Palin. I love that sketch. Uh, so I ask everybody, so I'm going to ask you too, mm -hmm. uh, favorite SNL cast member. Greaser, you go first. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I think usually the person I think of, uh, and a lot of people probably think of him as, think of him as well is Phil Hartman. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I love how, uh, if he needed to play an archetype, he would play that archetype 100% as hard as he possibly could, which I love. And then I also loved um, a lot of his uh, straight mm -hmm. character work. I think he was always playing things, you know, as seriously and to the top of his intelligence as possible, which, you know, generally those are improv terms, but they definitely apply to acting as well. Uh, and I really love that about him. Uh, you know, he, he was able to do that in addition to having 
uh, a lot of great characters that people still yeah still enjoy. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but I generally recommend to everybody who talks about Phil Hartman. Uh, a dude wrote a biography about him yes last year or two years ago, called uh, "You Might Remember Me." Oh yeah, and it's pretty thorough. It I think it was like approved by the family. Like it like the is, is the official biography. It's really good. All right, Ganesh, what's who, cool? I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pick Phil Hartman, but I would if Jonathan hadn't already. But because um, he's, yeah, the I, I think the undisputed king for, in, in my eyes, just the, his range and the various characters and things that just still stick in my mind. But aside from Phil Hartman, I'm going to go actually with Norm MacDonald. Okay. I, uh, oh, sorry. My Norm. <laughs> well, I think he's... Because when I was watching all these reruns on Comedy Central, the the one thing that always stuck out in my mind was was his weekend update segments, and just some of like the bizarre deadpan humor that he infused into that segment was, was just kind of a revelation to me. I just was incredibly impressed at. Th- how what he was saying and how he was saying it even though some sometimes jokes didn't land but he stuck with them and even made them running bits mm. to this day i can still recall every time he you know pulled out uh frank stallone for absolutely no reason yeah. and uh it just makes you know made such an impression on me and uh even even today his you know he's more of a comedian's comedian his uh his appearances on conan or on roasts and i guess his his latest stand-up stuff has just been fantastic so he's he's not really a traditional choice especially since he got kicked off the air for cursing or whatever but uh i just thought you know that's that his his material was just so great and i guess he's who we have to thank for celebrity jeopardy which was uh which was a mainstay on my iPod before they had videos. Uh, just downloading the MP3s of all the Celebrity Jeopardy sketches and listening to them on sure. repeat. Yeah, so, he he's an odd one because a lot of people have picked him in the past, but because he hasn't, I like I don't remember him in sketches as much as. Like, yeah, he's, he's barely like, there. I, you know, he would do the Burt Rounds impression. I remember the specific sketch from like 95-ish, 96-ish where it was like the Burt Reynolds Christmas special and it, it's just his Burt Reynolds and every people and going bizarre, like being bizarre or um, you know, he had to run as Bob Dole during that election, which you know, Bob Dole lost so he yeah. killed it. Like there's another sketch I talked about with Norm McDonald where Bob Dole to try to court younger voters becomes a housemate on the real world and it's it's crazy. I think it's like th- they do it like three <laughs> little sketches throughout the night, and you can't really find it online because when I did find it online, it's just um, like Smashing Pumpkins music's on top of it the entire time. So you're not gonna get a legal version because they don't want to pay Smashing Pumpkins any more money. But like, yeah, he's he like Norm Macdonald as the update anchor introduced me to a new type of comedy like it everything else on the show was basically like straightforward but norm 
took it to a different. Yep. His deadpan, his deadpan sarcasm was just like, oh, that that speaks to me. He's right. sincere Absolutely. in his insincerity, and I'm for better or for worse, that's informed my personality for the you know the the next fifteen years. <laughs> uh, now, Ganesh, you also mentioned The Simpsons being a touchstone for you, <laughs> and so I have to ask. Uh, uh, considering your ethnicity, ah yes, and this is this all is... the recent, <laughs> all the recent thing, and I think Hari kind of Balu and his uh, documentary last year. The I keep I keep forgetting if it's the trouble or the problem. It's the problem. It's the problem. Okay. Yeah. How? What are your thoughts on the Apu? This is Manjula. This is a great. Uh... It's a good question. I was actually kind of, I wasn't expecting it, but I was, but, uh, and I have been, you know, rolling that, you know, thought around in my head for, for a while because I get it. I, I get the issues. I get the, you know, the problem with Apu, but, and, and everybody should, you know, if, if it makes them feel the way they do, they should, you know, speak out about it. But at the same time, I yeah. don't necessarily hate it. Um, I I think maybe either it is since I grew up on it, I've never really had a problem with it. I'm not offended at all. It's a caricature. And I think especially in this day and age, caricatures are getting, you know, Getting, I guess, you know, the deserving label of being insensitive. Uh, at the same time, I think they've developed him very much as a character, at least in the first 10 seasons. Um, but I guess at this point, what what matters isn't just the character, it's the voice and the, you know, the fact that he's always a convenience store clerk. But... While while I don't think it's an issue for me, I again I get it why it's an issue for people, and I do not think they really handled it well in that latest episode that everybody seems to be blowing up about. So, oh, there what, I haven't there watched. was there I I haven't really watched The Simpsons recently or for the last <laughs> ten or so years, you know, for for the reasons that the writing's kind of gone downhill for one reason or another, and it's it's been thirty seasons. But I think the it's either the last episode or two episodes ago, there was, uh, the plot was Marge was reading a children's book she loved when she was a kid to Lisa, but it had a lot of outdated stereotypes and, you know, maybe racist connotations. So she censored it for Lisa and ended up destroying the soul of the book in the process and then at the end they had a very on the nose basically fourth wall breaking dialogue about it and even lisa agreed that these things were created a long time ago and uh don't necessarily measure up to current norms and there's nothing we can do which seems you know and they they even show a picture of apu on on her bedside table for whatever reason. So directly calling this out. 
Um, and she looks to the camera. The, the most liberal of the Simpsons looks at the camera and basically shrugs and says, there's nothing we can do. Deal with it. Uh, uh, I'm like a full cop yeah. out. Uh, it was it was a real cop out. I didn't think that was handled very well, uh, and it definitely did serve to piss more people off than anything else. Um, but I have a thicker skin than most, and you know I I I I I have no problem with Apu. Okay, maybe it's because I don't. But you have problems I, with. I've, maybe it's because I'm not in like the showbiz industry or the acting industry where obviously people of Indian descent or South Asian descent are typecast and asked to do the accent more than anything else, which, um, which obviously can grate and be horrendously offensive. But, um, so I may have less, uh, to uh, pardon my phrasing, less skin in the game than most. Mm. Okay, but we can all agree that Fisher Stevens and Short Circuit Two is pretty bad. I think. Oh no, I love Fisher Stevens and Short Circuit. Really? I think I might be racist. <laughs> I remember uh, what like I uh, as a kid I had never seen the first shirt, the first one, but oh, the second one's much better. But I saw the second one and I didn't realize that he wasn't Indian until like years later. I didn't either. And so. If that if you're worried about that, don't don't be because I I watched that movie on repeat, <laughs> and only in in high school did I figure out oh that's that's Fisher Stevens <laughs> early edition that's that's where I know him from. Uh, well, Ganesh, you always say your favorite detective what? is Charlie Chan, right? Oh yeah, no Charlie Ganesh Chan loves is Charlie a Chan. bigger influence in this. <laughs> bigger influence. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, even, even, yeah, I guess, I guess that puts kind of my comments into perspective. Maybe I shouldn't be the one speaking out on this. I've, um, <laughs> I, I may not be offended by anything. Okay. <laughs> uh, Greaser, you mentioned uh, growing up in Lancaster. Yeah. So tell me how you get from Lancaster to New York City uh, and Clip Show. Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I actually uh, was born just outside of Philadelphia. So I was born in Montgomery County, and, uh, and I lived in various towns throughout Montgomery County. Uh, Which is basically where I am right now. So oh, yeah. Yay. Where are you? Yep. I'm in Jenkintown right now. Okay. Yeah. I was in Hatfield and Souderton. A little higher up, yeah. Harleysville, all that mm-hmm. area. Uh, but then when I was uh, what going into the sixth grade, we moved to Lancaster, and uh, you know went through high school and all that. And then um, I was working retail and not really doing anything with my life. And my whole life, I was you know obsessed with comedy. Essentially, I was always uh, watching comedy and reading comedy and things like that and uh in, in the eighth grade talent show i did stand up in front of the entire middle school how did that go uh it went very well uh eighth graders are very easy to make laugh uh so it was not hard <laughs> just fart a couple of times but yeah i just went up there i saved a couple of farts up and i did five minutes 
um, <laughs> did a nice tight five on farting. But anyway, um, I, you know, basically just needed to do something with my life. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. So uh, a friend of mine lived in New York and I said, oh, hey, uh, will you happen to have any recommendations on like where I should live if I were to go to New York? And he said, yeah, of course you can actually, um, you can stay in my guest room uh, while you look for a place. So I was there for like a week. I found a sublet. Um, I sublet and I just like, up, I quit my job, uprooted everything. Um, and then moved to New York so that I could, and got a job, got a new job, and then uh, was doing some stand up uh, very poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anybody, I had no connections to comedy, but a, a lot of people at my job said, Oh, you should do improv. So um, I took a class at the UCB. Uh, I went through all the levels really quickly. Um, within about a year, I was doing. Uh, I had a few indie teams and was doing advanced study courses and I was really heavily involved in improv for about three years. And then you get to a certain point where, uh, with improv where you say, Hey, you know, I'm not really getting anything tangible out of this. I do enjoy performing it, but at the end of the day, it's not really going to help me get a career doing comedy it's it's a great tool to use but no i mean yes there are many people who make millions of dollars doing improv uh so many but at the same time uh that pat you know nobody does that so uh a friend of mine who was in clip show was asking me had asked me many times to you know act for the show uh, right for the show, and I, at the time I was still heavily involved in improv, so I said, oh, you know, I don't I just don't have time right now. But then eventually I was like, you know, I need to cut improv back a lot, uh, so I need something else to do. Uh, while I was still doing stand-up to an extent, it was just not something that I was going to actively pursue. I don't enjoy doing open mics. I don't, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not like a very social person. So I'm just not going to ever succeed there because I don't have the passion for it. But, uh, you mentioned doing all the classes at UCB. Were any of your instructors at UCB like the big luminaries that we – like any of the names that we know? I mean, none of them were the UCB before I was there after that. Sure. Uh, but, I mean, people may know Anthony Atamanek. Who the, the president's show on County Central right. was that Trump impression, yeah. Yeah, I took many, many classes with him. Uh, he was someone who I really respected. He's he's one of the best improvisers I've ever mm. seen. He's amazing. Uh, and he's also someone... One of the things I really appreciate about Anthony is that he is not a bullshitter at all. Mm. He's very much someone who, if something didn't go well, he will tell you that it didn't go well. Whereas there's a lot of people... Uh, performing or teaching improv that will not say that so there's very much a culture of oh that was great no matter what you mm. did which just my personality type is not like I, I don't like that i want to hear if something was bad i know it was bad and i'd rather <laughs> you tell me that it was bad and i don't mm. want to sure. pretend that it was good so 
uh, I think that's useful for some people, but it's just not it's just not for me. I, I, it grates at me. And Anthony was not that at all. He was uh, he was also very philosophical. I remember him saying once because uh, there's, there's a thing in improv where if a scene's not going well, someone may step in and redirect the scene in some way. You know, it may be a scene that's uh, supposed to be about World War II, but clearly no one knows anything about World War II. So everyone's just kind of uh, putzing around the, the stage. And then someone comes in and says, isn't it great that we're reenacting World War II yeah. as a kind of a way to get out that it's supposed to be a World War II scene? And I did that once in a class and he says no no our job is to you know if someone comes out there with an idea think of that idea as a vase and if that vase has cracks in it what you just just did is you smash the vase and it may be funny at the time but that does not create a great scene what we want to do is seal the holes in the vase and that's the goal in okay. improv and he's 100 percent right but you know uh, everyone does those moves i mean you can go to ask cat and you can see Matt Besser do that move. Uh, everyone will at some point do that move. And it's not necessarily a bad thing all the time. But the general philosophy of improv is right. to not it's, do that. It's not necessarily uh, a don't do this. It's a don't rely on this. Don't make this a habit. Exactly. Yeah, we don't want to always be cheating out our scenes like that. We want to try to create something. And then so when do you per- become a permanent member of Clip Show? Like... Yeah, I started doing Clip Show almost two years ago, okay. uh, and I, I acted at first. Uh, I acted for maybe about four months just acting, and then uh, I was not like a serious sketch writer, but uh, the producer of the show one time was like, oh, hey, you know, do, would you like to write in this upcoming show? So I said, yes. Um, my sketches uh, were not good. Uh, but that's, you know, I, 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 you should give yourself some more credit, producer. Uh, well, it's very kind of you, but, uh, (laughs) my problem was I was not really, I was not disciplining Mm -hmm. myself at all. Uh, I was writing sketches day of, uh, I was doing that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I was, you know, uh, doing rewrites, you know, an hour before we were doing a meetup, that kind of stuff. At least you were doing rewrites. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sure, but uh, it would be embarrassing to myself if I wasn't. But, you know, at work, you know, at my job, I'm a very disciplined person, and I'm the kind of person who has everything done very quickly. But in my personal life, sketch kind of stuff included, I am not that at all. I'm the total opposite. Uh, That's probably why improv was so appealing to me, because I can just show up. Yeah. And... (laughs) be disciplined in my mind but not necessarily in my action and sketch really requires way more discipline than that you really need to set aside set aside time to be creative you need to set aside time to you know write your sketches so now you know uh, over the months i really feel that i've improved my sketch writing over the past year or so uh so where i'm not embarrassed when we're doing read-throughs and things like that uh, and then also doing that kind of stuff. That's the great thing about kind of um, disciplining yourself more is that you then, in the same way that you would in improv, you learn those skills kind of inherently, and you actually, you know, you can write a really good sketch in 30 minutes. Yeah. Like I wrote a sketch on my lunch break yesterday, right before our read through, our final read through before the show, and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't normally like to do this, 
but I just think this idea is so stinking funny and it just made me laugh so much. So, uh, I wrote it and, and presented it and we all, and everyone loved it. So like, that's the kind of thing where if you do, uh, discipline yourself more, you end up being more creative. I feel. Hmm. All right. And Ganesh, what's your journey to clip show? Oh, well, I, I kind of fell ass backwards, uh, into clip show. Um, Jonathan actually at least had, you know, training and went to a bunch of UCB classes. I, before, you know, starting to write sketch comedy, I had no actual experience one way or the other, no classes, no nothing. Uh, Ryan Stannis, who, you know, who's the uh, head of Clip Show, uh, the head producer and writer, uh, he and I met uh, back in 20... I want to say 2011, uh, he was a friend of a friend uh, uh, from college of mine. And uh, we both kind of uh, met uh, while we were all traveling through Germany. We went to Oktoberfest together. It's all a great time. I barely remember it. And uh, once I got back home to New York, he also lived lives here too. And he started inviting me to like his open mics where he was doing stand-up um uh, tell, uh you know workshopping his jokes and other shows where he's just uh, doing his set and after every set like the supportive friend I, I am i basically just told him okay this worked this didn't work here's why this didn't work and this is what i would do and then you know a couple of years later he was putting together a, a sketch team the, the prior to clip show um and he finally, I guess, snapped and told me, you know, uh, put your money where your mouth is and actually come and write some comedy if, if you're going to criticize my, uh, my, uh, my jokes. So I, I joined up with him and a couple others, and we did, uh, we did a kind of a short run at some, some rinky-dink little places down here in, like, downtown New York City under, like, the guise of Express Lane, where we did uh, – we wrote – sketches and put together a show in a week which was kind of a baptism by fire really throwing me into the deep end and in terms of you know coming up pitching coming up with an idea writing and editing a sketch in in a whole manner of a week and then putting it up that that weekend which was terrifying and fun terrifying mostly because the places we performed at were kind of sort of illegal hostels, okay. which uh, <laughs> um, I don't think they exist anymore. But if there was an electrical fire from any of the exposed wiring, we would have all been dead. <laughs> uh, but once once uh, once we got through Express Lane a couple of times, I guess Ryan branched out with a, with a couple of other comedians uh, from there and created Clip Show. And I basically stayed on since I enjoyed it so much. So uh, I'm, I'm not really an actor. I don't know if you could tell through my stilted read through of my sketch, but uh, I've, I've, I've always been kind of a, a writer by hobby. I write a lot of short stories, working on some novels. Some are comedies, some aren't. Um, but I always really kind of enjoy telling a story and, you know, if I can, shoving a bunch of jokes in it. So writing sketch 
well, I won't say it came naturally to me because there was still a lot of growing pains and learning exactly how to write sketch, uh, which is a, a whole different animal from, you know, pr uh, prose fiction. So even now, every, I, I still keep, you know, m making mistakes and thinking something is funny until someone tells me, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's not going to work. So it's it's still a huge learning process, but it's uh, it's a bunch of fun, uh, even though I just kind of, you know, backed into it unknowingly. Was comedy ever part of the plan for you? You know, it 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 was never really part of the. I I never really had a plan, so it couldn't have been part of the plan. I just kind of fail upwards in general, so uh, I think this is meshed in really well with my strategy of, you know, just going with the flow and seeing what happens. And I, I, I mean, while I do have, you know, I don't want to say studied comedy, but appreciated comedy for a long time, never did I think I'd actually be writing for, you know, a sketch show or helping produce a sketch show. And it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I definitely like to see where this takes me. All right, so tell me about Clip Show in general. Um, like, is there an overarching like premise to the the team? Is there like a general theme that you guys have? Where do you guys normally perform? What do you guys normally do? Uh, how many people are in it? Well, we 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 started off with a theme. I think one of the first Clip Show themes. I, I think it predates Greaser by like a year. Uh, we we kind of made it like an actual clip show of a sitcom that never existed. And all the sketches were clips from different seasons of that sitcom that was introduced by a host that quickly went out the window when the first sketch show was, uh, okay. didn't make any sense. Uh, uh, and I think since then it's kind of evolved into, you know, a, a, a general kind of sketch show that, isn't beholden to any one theme or another. I think it depends really. Each sketch depends on who's writing it and uh, what they feel like writing that given month. Okay. And you guys, uh, you generally perform at the pit, right? Yeah, I think now now we perform at the pit uh, in in you know Twenty Third Street in Manhattan. Uh, we used to uh, up until last year perform out in Queens at, at, uh, at the Creek in the cave, which was certainly a venue. Yes. That it's well, it could be well described yeah. <laughs> as a venue as a place with chairs. Now is, all right. I I've heard of Creek in the cave. I've never gone to a show there. Is, is there an issue with the Creek in the cave as event? Like, or is it just not a good place for sketch comedy? Well, the issue is, I mean, there's a few issues. You know, uh, four years ago, it was probably a really great place to go see alternative comedy in Queens. And the restaurant was pretty good. Uh, nowadays, there's like, let me put it this way. A month, two, was it a month or two months after our last show there? They still had our name on the marquee. Okay. So they're not really changing stuff up. Also, there was a major health code violation in the restaurant that caused them to shut down for, uh, I want to say a week they they shut down the whole place for a week uh to clean out the restaurant which is pretty major because in new york you can do almost anything without getting shut it's down. not hard to get an a a grade and uh 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. few times I've been in L- in New York and I see those A's and then I walk in, I'm like, oh, this is there's a curve. Like, that A doesn't is not deserved. A means yeah. acceptable. Okay, so it's not actually like the uh... exactly. Wait, is that is that real or is that? I don't like... know. I just made that up. It's... <laughs> I was gonna say because it's certainly plausible. Like, because when I see the A's, I'm I'm immediately thinking, you know, the <laughs> the grade school chart of. Yeah. The funny thing was the week before it got shut down, we had a show there and I noticed that their health rating had been downgraded to a B. And I'm, I normally don't like eating at the, like a place that's rated as a B because I know what it takes <laughs> to get an A, which is not much. So I remember saying, because we always used to, right after rehearsal, we would eat at that restaurant. It was pretty nice Mexican food. And I remember saying like, oh, the place is a B. Maybe we should like, maybe we should go somewhere else. And everyone was like, oh, Jonathan, you're being paranoid. And then the next week, it was shut down for a week because the, the oh. mouse infestation was so bad that they needed to clean the entire restaurant. And then when we came back, there were like these two, they had adopted two cats that they kept in the green room, which uh, is an awful place to keep cats. Especially uh, since the green room is about five inches by 10 inches <laughs> wide. Yeah. And most of it is mm-hmm. adorned by a drum set. But uh, yeah, that was... That was bad. But yeah, like the last uh, six months at that place were just not pleasant. There was just a lot of okay. a lot of organizational issues. And That being you know, said, they did put us up for like <laughs> a year and a half or two years. They so. did. I mean, that's true. Yay! It's, and it's great. Um, but we're, I think we're, everyone's very, very happy to be at the pit because mm. uh, it's a super nice venue. And it's like, an, you know, it's a real theater. It's one of the major comedy theaters in New York, which is super cool that they are, you know, that they've kind of given us the slot. Yeah. I was very, very pleasantly surprised that we got a slot at the pit. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> impressive to me. <laughs> Blazed. All right, Ganesh, you made Greece to go first with the SNL question. So I'm making you go first with this one, uh, as we kind of wrap up, oh boy. um, what's something that, uh, comedy has taught you that you would either pass on to another writer uh another new writer like whether it's something uh philosophical or just like a a tip for the craft of writing sketch oh that's a good question um i think in terms of a tip to the craft of writing sketch i think the the one piece of advice i always get told to do and which I would therefore pass on to other people is get to the funny as quickly as possible. So within the first page of your yeah. sketch and then work from there. Because some of my my sketches or some of my concepts tend to be a little more of a slow burn which doesn't doesn't tend to work. It's just me bringing in my like short story or novel writing, you know, headspace to to sketch and that doesn't necessarily translate to funny when you're perform putting it up there. But other than that, I think the best thing to do is uh, best thing to know or keep in your head is some of your sketches are going to bomb out of control, no matter how funny you think they are or not how, or how well they do in the read through. And it's just, just be prepared for that. Okay. Uh, Greaser, what's your, what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I guess one thing that I usually try to keep in mind when writing a sketch, and it's an, I think this is applicable, applicable to almost any form of comedy, uh, is just try to treat the situation as real as you possibly can. You know, every idea starts, or starts somewhere crazy, uh, but we always want to be thinking, you know, what would a real human being do in this scenario? How would you act? Do you want to be even realer than real? You know, meaning a lot of times there might be a scenario where someone is, you know, in your face in a sketch. And in real life, we might just go, you know, we might just retreat mm -hmm. inwards and say nothing. But if we're going to be realer than real, we're going to confront that person. We're going to say exactly what we have, what we're thinking in our minds about it, about that person. Okay. Um, so that's usually what I try to try to keep in mind. And then you get to a certain point where uh, just <laughs> to, to uh, mirror Ganesh, uh, almost every sketch can start three lines before you actually yep. started it. Three lines uh, after you actually started it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the uh, mentors here in Philadelphia that I had, we uh, he was, we had a show that was basically like an uh, almost like Iron Chef, where uh, a mentor, someone that's been doing comedy much longer, had a group of uh, randomly assigned people, uh, and they would write a, like they had a thirty. And like, I learned from him was just like, all right, you have a half page here that means nothing to your sketch like just start here in the middle of page one and start from oh, um, so yeah that's definitely something i'm well well learned and definitely would pass on to people as well yeah i waste too much time world building and that's that's not a good thing yeah uh and then uh why comedy why 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 do you do this like because i think uh you both are at the point where this is still uh, your hobby, your part, your, this is your side project. This isn't your full-time jobs. This isn't how you're making your living or paying your rent. So why is this the way you spend your time? We'll start with Greaser now. Uh, sure. Well, um, my earliest memory that I have in my life is making someone laugh, uh, which was, I don't know how old I was. I was probably one year old. Um, but that's, that's kind of always been the thing of, I feel like that's the thing I'm best at in my life is making people laugh. Uh, it's the thing I enjoy the most. And when I'm on stage, it's like, it's a time in my life where I feel that I, I absolutely belong. And that kind of feeling is so great. So I'm constantly chasing it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, that's led me to do so many awful bar basement improv shows uh, that I just, I hated every second sitting on the bench, but as soon as I was on stage, uh, I felt pretty good about it. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's the, it's the thing that I'm best at in my, in my life. So that's why I continue to do it and pursue it. All right. And Ganesh? I think for me, it's kind of twofold. Uh, the, the more selfish part is I like coming up with clever shit and it, that entertains me to no end. Even if it's just for me, if I come up with something witty and like, and I just impress myself sometimes, so that feels great. But uh, I think the more the 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 real thing, the re real reason I kind of stick with comedy and I really enjoy writing comedy, either you know for s sketch purposes or in in terms of a story or whatnot, is um, there's nothing that feels better to me than a, a good laugh. It makes me happy. It it, uh, you know, just 
pushes all my, you know, like all my anxiety or anything away. And that's just something I would like or like others to experience. I don't, I want to make people happy. I want to make people laugh. And I think that's just, I think, uh, my way of trying to give back or make people feel better. All right. Am I missing anything? Did I skip any major step in your comedy writing lives or nothing I can think of. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you have a, a complete picture of who I am as a person and uh, what I'm all about. Clip Show will be performing at Philly Sketchfest on Sunday, June 3rd in the 7 p.m. block, along with The Flat Earth and Friends with Names at Underground Arts. You can find tickets for that show and all the other shows for Philly Sketchfest conveniently at myfirstsketch.com slash tickets, and that will forward you to the Ticketfly info. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com, on Twitter at phlsketchfest, on Instagram at phillysketchfest, and using, and using the hashtag phlsketchfest10. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook, this is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Come see some comedy. Philly Sketchfest this weekend. <laughs>